Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Are your joints painful? Do you suffer from daily discomfort? As it stands today, chronic pain affects more Americans than diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. In fact, chronic pain is the number one reason Americans enter the healthcare system today. However, many people believe their only option for pain relief is found in drugstore options such as ibuprofen, Advil, and Tylenol, to name a few. Tragically, most people are unaware that these pain meds do more harm than good. Common side effects include headaches, liver and kidney issues, high blood pressure, and in rare cases, even death. Not to mention, they're just masking your pain, giving you temporary relief. While this may sound all doom and gloom, I do have good news. There is an all-natural solution that addresses the root cause of your discomfort, a real solution that allows you to get back to being you. And that solution is called Curcumin Gold, made by my friends at Purality Health. Curcumin Gold contains turmeric curcumin extract, vegan omega-3s, particularly DHA, which is a very long-chain omega-3, and it has ginger oil. These carefully selected ingredients support healthy joint function and address the root cause of inflammation within your body. Trust me when I say you won't find anything else on the market quite like this. In fact, my friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream, proven to be 800% more efficient than traditional uh, supplement doses. Even better, it's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. And today, we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ or Dr. J to access 30% off today. So again, that's PurityHealth.com. Use the coupon code DRJ, so Dr. J, to access 30% off today. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I've got an exciting episode here where I am being interviewed by my friend, Dr. Heather Sanderson for her reverse Alzheimer's summit. And we talk about the best nutrition strategies to stop neuroinflammation and Alzheimer's. So I'm going to go through how to stimulate brain cell autophagy in this. I'm going to talk about the impact of ketones and how they're epigenetic modulators that help turn down inflammation in the brain. I'm going to go through some really powerful strategies that you guys are going to love. And if you know anybody that perhaps has had a family member deal with dementia, Alzheimer's, or, you, or perhaps it's your family member, perhaps you just want to make sure you don't end up with Alzheimer's, with dementia, some of these fast-growing neurodegenerative conditions, then this is the podcast for you. And go to the show notes as well on drjockers.com for this podcast. Look up this podcast and you will see a link for Dr. Sanderson's Reverse Alzheimer's Summit. It's taking place June 13th through 19th 
2023. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I'm putting this out June 1st. So a couple of weeks, if you're listening to it fresh, uh, they'll also have a replay weekend. So if you're catching this before the end of June, you should be able to access this reverse Alzheimer's summit. Some great interviews in this, Dr. Dale Bredesen, you've got Dr. David Perlmutter, some of the top functional medicine experts when it comes to dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, neurodegenerative conditions. This is going to be an amazing event. I was really honored uh, to be a part of it and to do this interview. And you guys are going to love the interview. I mean, just an amazing topic. We go through so much. And guys, if uh, if you're enjoying the content on this podcast, I would so appreciate you leaving a review. Just go to Apple iTunes, scroll to the bottom where it says reviews and leave a review. And when you do that, that helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. You know, at this point, we have over two and a half million downloads and counting. It's one of the most popular podcasts in the natural health space. And it's all thanks to you. Thank you so much. And we want to reach more people. So definitely leave us a review and share this with somebody that you know and that you care about. And without further ado, let's go into the show. Welcome to this episode of the Reverse Alzheimer's Summit. I'm so delighted to introduce you to Dr. David Jockers today. He's a doctor of natural medicine and runs one of the most popular natural health websites, drjockers.com, which gets over 1 million monthly visitors. And his work has been seen on popular media, such as the Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Family. I'm really delighted for him to share what he learned about the keto metabolic breakthrough. He's written a book about it and also about fasting. He's written the fasting transformation. He's a world-renowned expert in ketosis, and you already know from hearing other episodes of this podcast that I am also a fan of ketosis and how I have seen it clinically just transform people's lives and cognitive function. Dr. Jockers, welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Sanison. Really appreciate you, and, and thanks for all the great work you're doing. So you really connect the dots between mitochondria and ketosis, um, as, as well as fasting. So uh, walk us through that. What are the connections? How does this work? Yeah, well, you see, when it comes to metabolic health, our body really can run on two major energy sources. One is glucose or sugar. We measure that. We look at our blood glucose. And then the other is fatty acids. And I, I say, you know, two sources, but it's kind of like a 2A and a 2B. Mm -hmm. So we have fatty acids, and then we also have ketones, which are these water-soluble molecules that are smaller. They're shorter than fatty acids. And the interesting thing about ketones is they can cross the blood-brain barrier. You see, in times of famine, uh, you know, our body, our blood sugar would go down, and our storage of sugar, which we store sugar in our muscles and our liver, we call that glycogen, when that would go down, our ancestors would start to burn fat and we do it as well. Our body is, is uh, metabolically adapted to be able to burn fat for fuel. However, we can't get these fatty acids across the blood brain barrier. So our liver takes the fatty acids, converts them into ketones, and now they're able to cross the blood brain barrier where they are a great fuel source for the brain, for particularly, you know, the mitochondria in the brain. And so going back to this idea of these kind of dual fuel sources, most people in society are burning sugar for fuel, primarily. We're all burning all of these, right, at all times, primarily uh, sugar and fat. However, most people are stuck in chronic sugar burning mode. This is because in our society, we have plenty of food and we're constantly eating. And particularly, we're eating processed foods and higher carbohydrate foods. And so every time we eat, 
we're getting a lot of this, you know, we're breaking down these foods into glucose where glucose is going up. We have this hormone called insulin that comes out. Insulin's job is to take sugar, take glucose out of the bloodstream, put it in the cells. It also brings nutrients into the cells like magnesium, calcium, a lot of key nutrients into the cell as well. And when insulin is elevated, we can't burn fat for fuel. So it, 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 it inhibits lipolysis, which is the breakdown of fatty acids for energy. So we all have kind of this key threshold for how much insulin is in our blood to where we stop being able to burn fat and create ketones. And so again, most people are eating every few hours and they're eating foods that are higher in carbohydrates, causing more and more insulin to be released. And then over time, they develop insulin resistance where the cells stop responding as well to the insulin. And now they're producing more and more and more insulin. And so they never really get into good fat, a good fat burning state. And this is really where the ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting comes in because in our society, our ancestors didn't have to do this. They didn't have to be intentional about getting insulin down. They didn't think about it. They just ate when food was plenty and they didn't eat when food wasn't around or they ate very little when food was scarce. And so because of that, they went through seasonal periods where they were feasting and increasing insulin and then fasting or under eating and decreasing insulin and getting insulin under this threshold where they would burn fat. And when they were under that threshold for a any length of time, their body had to create these ketones. So we had this alternative fuel for the brain. In our society, we have to be intentional about taking breaks from eating. And we also have to be intentional about what we're eating in order to allow our body to burn fat for fuel and to create these ketones. And the interesting thing about ketones is that when they get into the brain, they are what we call epigenetic modulators. And what that means is they actually modulate, modulate our genetic expression. So they actually um, influence the way our genes express themselves, particularly in the brain. And that's really important because we have you know, we all have certain uh, genetic expressions. And when those genes, certain genes are turned on and certain genes are turned off, that can lead to chronic inflammation in the brain, for example. Um, but when we get the ketones up, it inhibits inflammation. In fact, it turns down something called the neuroinflammasome in the brain, which is like an inflammation amplifier. We know inflammation can be great short term because it helps prevent against. Uh, microbial infection, right? And this is something that used to kill our ancestors, right? They used to get meningitis, they used to get pneumonia, right? Killed, I mean, it still kills a lot of people, but more of our ancestors died from chronic systemic, not chronic, but systemic infections, infections that got in, spread wildly throughout their body, went into major organs like the lungs, caused pneumonia or, or the, the nervous system caused meningitis or encephalitis and killed them. Then today, today we we don't see that as often unless people are very elderly, maybe in nursing homes and stuff like that. But outside of that, it's, it's, it's not as common. And so we need inflammation, but we need to keep it under control. And that's really what getting ketones elevated in our bloodstream and into our brain really does for us is it turns off the inflammation amplifier and allows the immune system to be more balanced and coordinated in its attack. And that is extremely critical. It also tells the mitochondria within the cells to double basically, or, or to create, it, it turns on what we call mitochondrial biogenesis or the formation of new mitochondria. And it turns on something called mitophagy, where we break down old damaged mitochondria and we actually take the raw materials and create new healthy mitochondria. And the reason why this is important is 
The mitochondria are what produce all the energy within the cells. And they're also kind of like a, an energetic sensor or an environmental sensor where when, when they feel like we're in a um, you know, survival state, when we have a tremendous amount of stress, high toxic load, um, high amount of pathogens, they'll actually shut down energy production and they'll become um, pro-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. However, when they're in a healthy environment, when they sense that the environment's healthy, they, they, they stop doing that and they turn up energy production. And that really allows us to thrive. So when we think about mitochondria in the nervous system, in the brain, this is the most dense area for mitochondria. We actually have 10, uh, about uh, 10, what is it? 10,000 mitochondria per neuron. Um, which is amazing. In our muscle cells, we have about a thousand. A liver, we have about two thousand. A heart, we have about five thousand uh, mitochondria per cell. And so the brain is so dense with these mitochondria, and they're so critical for our mood, our memory, uh, our ability to think sharply and quickly, our, our cognitive acceleration, our ability to sleep well. Even it can be impacted by overall mitochondrial health. When we have mitochondrial dysfunction or a buildup of older damaged mitochondria. We call those senescent or aged dysfunctional mitochondria. They are metabolically inflexible. So they can only burn sugar for fuel and they produce a ton of oxidative stress. Like they rust us or age us much faster and they turn up inflammation in the body. And so we think about neurodegenerative states, neurodegeneration, when it, whether it's dementia or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's disease, this is marked by high levels of oxidative stress, chronic inflammation in the brain, mitochondrial dysfunction. So going back to this idea of ketones elevated in the bloodstream turns off the inflammation, turns down the oxidative stress, and also it turns up the healing and the repair process of these mitochondria and the overall number, the density of them, and the overall health of the mitochondria. And really, if we were to break down the quality of our life, and we were to look at it at a cellular level, the quality of our life is really going to come down to the amount of young, um, stress-resilient mitochondria. The more young, stress-resilient mitochondria that you have in, in your neurons and really all the cells of your body, the better the overall health expression you're going to have. So when it comes to the brain, you're going to be able to think sharper, quicker, have great cognitive acceleration, really good mood. You're going to be able to control your mood much more effectively. You're going to be able to sleep better. You're going to be able to, um, you know, be able to recall things much quicker and perform better in your overall day-to-day life. You're going to have more energy. You know, we think about energy, day-to-day energy. When people say they're fatigued or they don't have any energy, that's really a mental, that's really a cognitive state. Like where, where do we control our energy? You know, it's like, is it, is it in our heart? It's really in our brain. It's, it's kind of a perceived feeling of fatigue or a perceived feeling of, Hey, I feel good. I feel like I can perform well. I can feel like I've got a lot of energy today. That comes down to mitochondrial, mitochondrial health, particularly in our brain, but really throughout our whole body. And so ketones are one of the tricks getting the ketones elevated from time to time. I'm not talking about, we don't do this all the time. In fact, variability in our metabolic state is actually a really, really healthy thing and actually makes us more what we call metabolically flexible, our ability to burn fat, but also burn sugar when we need to burn sugar for fuel. And like, for example, when we're exercising at a high intensity and we don't have enough oxygen, we need to burn sugar for fuel. That's the advantage of burning sugar is that 
we can we can produce energy quickly and we don't need oxygen, right? The disadvantage of, of it is it produces a lot of oxidative stress and it doesn't produce, it's not as great an energy producer. We can produce energy quickly, but not as much energy as we can when we burn fat for fuel. So fat is a more cleaner energetic fuel, but it depends on oxygen. And um, it's also takes longer, right? It's not as quick. Sugar is very quick, but not as efficient and dirtier, meaning that it produces more of this oxidative stress, but we want to be good at burning both. And so we want to have that metabolic flexibility. And so intermittent fasting, as well as uh, practicing something like a ketogenic diet really helps us with that. So connect the dots between the intermittent fasting and a ketogenic diet. So even mm -hmm. if you're not in ketosis, would you want to get into intermittent fasting or does that increase our sort of blood sugar roller coaster that we might be on? And could that potentially be more stressful than beneficial? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you were to take somebody that's, let's say, on a very high carbohydrate diet that's eating 16 hours a day, meaning that they consume their last meal, like some sort of food with calories or even a drink with calories at, let's say, 9, 10 o'clock at night, and then they're consuming food at you know, 6 a.m. the next morning. And if we were to take that person and we were to say, okay, you need to do a 24-hour fast right? That would be very stressful on their body. Now they may get some health benefits out of it, but it'd be very, very stressful on their system and very challenging for them. Kind of like, and same with that person. If we just said, okay, cut out all carbohydrates, go on a super low carb diet right away. Mm -hmm. We have to compare both of those things, those kind of dramatic changes in lifestyle, kind of like exercise. If somebody's very sedentary, or maybe they just recovered from a surgery, and we were to say, okay, let's um, let's put you under this bench press and we're going to have you bench press 200 pounds or whatever it is, right? Because you used to bench press 200 pounds. So yeah. you need to do it now, right? Um, it'd be very stressful for them. Or if we said, you know, you need to go out and run, you know, a 5K today, right? It's going to be really, really stressful and it's going to create a lot of inflammatory oxidative stress mm -hmm. in their system. So instead, we kind of gently lean into these things and gradually build fitness, just kind of like, if we were to exercise, you know, what do you start with, right? You start small, you start by, you know, just gradually stressing your system with exercise until your body adapts, right? During the healing process, your body adapts, it recovers, it builds stronger, more stress-resilient mitochondria. Then the next time you exercise, you're a little bit stronger, a little bit, you have a little bit better um, muscular, neuro, neuromuscular um sensitivity, right? And, uh, and, and and you're better at it, right? And you notice that you start getting strength increases as you go on, you recover faster, you're not quite as sore. Well, it's the same thing with intermittent fasting or, or a ketogenic diet. You know, we want to kind of gradually shift into these things. And so if somebody is, let's say they're consuming, you know, 250 carbohydrates a day, and they're eating this, they've got this very long eating window. What we want to do first is start to gradually, let's say they're eating in a 16 hour eating window. I might cut them. I might drop them down to a 12 hour eating window where they're consuming their meals from, let's say 7 AM to 7 PM each day. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we might cut down their carbohydrates by let's say 50 or hundred grams a day. So instead of going all the way down to, you know, 50 grams of net carbs, we might drop them down to 150 or hundred grams of net carbs for the first few days. So we're taking out the ultra processed foods, we're replacing those with healthier natural foods, fruits, root vegetables that naturally have carbohydrates, but they're healthier, right? They're more nutrient dense, not quite as insulogenic um, types of foods. And then gradually we might start by saying, okay, for breakfast, all right, as they're adapting to this and they're feeling like, okay, I can do this kind of diet. We'll say for breakfast, we're going to do little to no carbs, right? We're going to do a 
veggie omelet with, let's say, arugula, eggs, uh, maybe some grass-fed cheese in there, and uh, some bell peppers, right? So low-carb, okay? They're cooking it on grass-fed butter or coconut oil or something like that, yeah. maybe a little bit of extra virgin olive oil on top. Yeah. So now they've got this very low-carb, high-protein, healthy-fat style you know, meal right here that they're consuming. That's going to very do a very good at stabilizing their blood sugar, take away cravings. And then they should be able to, to, you know, not notice any sort of hunger or cravings for four or five hours after that. So then what we do is we start to take away snacking, right? So we go low carb with their first meal, take away snacking because now they're feeling natural satiation. Their body's getting better at burning fat because that first meal is not as insulogenic. They're not producing much insulin there. So they have better blood sugar stability. So now we kind of trim it into three meals over, let's say maybe a 12 or, or, or even pushing it into a 10 hour eating window, right? Where now they're consuming their first meal at 8 a.m., last meal by 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to compress the eating window slowly, right? While reducing carbs, increasing healthy fats, increasing protein. Um, and then, you know, we start doing that with other meals, right? So maybe the next meal, instead of consuming a sandwich, right? Maybe that's what they did every day for lunch is they had, you know, a turkey and cheese sandwich. We know the bread, high carbohydrate, high glycemic load, right? We might initially, then maybe they were doing it on white bread. We might switch them to like Ezekiel bread for at first. Mm -hmm. And then as they're adapting, we take them off of that altogether. And now they're doing, uh, you know, a, a chicken salad with extra high, high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil on it, maybe some avocado in there. So they got the protein, healthy fats, some veggies and fiber, right? And so now we're transitioning them there. And then as they're getting more and more adapted and they have better blood sugar stability, less cravings, we can start pushing their or narrowing their eating window, compressing it to eight hours or six hours and possibly even just doing two meals a day rather than three meals, right? And this is kind of the gradual transition. And this might take a month, right? Mm -hmm. To transition them into a daily lifestyle where they're fasting for- 16 to 18 hours, maybe even doing a one-day fast once a week and consuming lower carbohydrate, uh, less insulogenic style of foods. Got it. That's super helpful, especially have those examples of like what to eat. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about the importance of chlorophyll. Most people are not getting enough chlorophyll in their body. Chlorophyll is what's in, what's what makes all green plants green. Chlorophyll helps absorb biophotons from the sun and turns them into energy in the plant. And chlorophyll, when humans consume it, has amazing detoxification and blood purifying benefits. Now, most people are just not able to get enough chlorophyll in their diet. Some people just don't even do well with lots of salads because of kind of the harder to digest fibers. And this is why I love a good super greens powder. My favorite is Paleo Valley's organic super greens, all organic ingredients. It's got some digestive enzymes, digestion supporting superfoods like ginger, lemon, and beet, no added sugars, and it doesn't contain any of the potentially gut irritating ingredients like cereal grasses, wheatgrass, barley, oat, or ryegrass, which all contain wheat germ, a gluten, WGA, which can irritate the gut. And so this is very well tolerated by people with chronic inflammatory conditions, gut issues, and it tastes great. Basically, you just take a scoop of this greens powder in water. That will provide a tremendous amount of polyphenol nutrients for your gut microbiome, chlorophyll, for your body's natural detoxification, 
and blood purifying pursuits and uh, really help you get healthier and have more energy and better mental clarity. Guys, you could save 15% off the Paleo Valley Organic Super Greens or any of the Paleo Valley products. Just go to paleovalley.com forward slash jockers to save 15% off today. Now, I tell my patients the ketogenic diet is not only anti-inflammatory and great fuel for your brain, great for increasing mitochondrial production of energy, but also a detox diet. Do you share that opinion? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, what, basically what it's going to do is help us burn fat for fuel. And so when we think about where does our body actually store toxins, a lot of people think we store toxins in our liver. That's not actually true unless, we ha- unless we're developing fatty liver because where we actually store toxins is in, in our fat cells. And so as we start to burn fat for fuel, we're also releasing chemicals and different toxins that are promoting oxidative stress in our system. So the better we are at burning fat, the less toxic load our body is going to hold on to. So this is really, really key. On top of that, we're also going to get into the state of autophagy. Right, we talked about mitophagy, where we're breaking down the old damaged mitochondria. I mentioned that earlier. Well, our body will do the same thing with all the cellular organelles. So within the actual cell itself, that we talked about kind of outside the cell when we were talking about fat cells. Um, however, inside the cell, we have all these different components, and many of them have been damaged, right? And because they're damaged, they're dysfunctional, they're not working right, and they're actually producing oxidative stress that's rusting these cells from the inside, right? Rusting the actual cellular machinery. So we need to actually get rid of those, right? Because they're 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 causing poor cellular health mm-hmm. and we need to repair those organelles to create new healthy ones, right? We have a whole bunch of things, endoplasmic reticulum, Golgi apparatus. And so they all, all have important functions. And so when we get into a state of ketosis, our body will start to break these down and we'll repair those cellular organelles and we get rid of the bad ones, right? And this is all part of the cellular renewing process, which is really a cleansing and detoxification process. So yes, there's definitely a detoxification, cleansing component, a healing component. I really, the way I think about it is our body can either be building or healing and repairing. And so when we're building, that's when we're in like a feast state And that's marked by higher levels of insulin. And there's a time and a place for that. It actually tells, for example, our thyroid hormone to produce the right amount of thyroid hormone because Mm -hmm. we need to have really good um, metabolic machinery. We need to turn up energy production. It turns on, it helps, helps our body to be more sensitive and be able to produce more sex hormones, testosterone, um, estrogen, progesterone. However, in order to really produce the proper amount of hormones, we also need very good insulin sensitivity. And so we get that by going through periods of famine. And that's where the ketogenic diet and fasting come in. And when we're a child, right, or we're, we're young, you know, the younger we are, the more times of feasting we need to be in, right? Because the more growth and building we are in. When we're pregnant, you know, a woman's pregnant, she needs to be in growth and building, right? For the most part, that's why she needs to eat a lot, right? And eat all the time. However, once we get to an adult state, we need very little times, right? Very few times of feasting, right? Maybe a few hours a day and then a lot of hours, right? Uh, Maybe 20 hours a day, 18 to 20 hours a day where we're telling the body, 
hey, we are now in healing and repair mode. And so we need to prioritize that. So we really shouldn't have insulin elevated above that certain threshold for more than maybe four or six hours during the day. And so by getting insulin up, but then down, right, for a, a lengthy stay um, on a, on a day-to-day basis, that is how we tell the body how, when to heal and repair and when to build and, you know, build new hormones, build new cells, uh, go through cell reproduction. So this is a, this kind of, tr- this little dance, right? But for most people that are listening to this, most of you, 99% of you are in a state where you need more repair, right? More healing and repair than you do mm-hmm. feasting. <laughs> right, most Americans, because yeah. food's just so available. So let's go back to that food, super practical information. I so appreciate you sharing. We kind of started down this path. What are, let's just start with the worst foods. Like, what do you cut out first? Yeah, great question. So you want to get rid of all your processed or ultra processed foods, right? So if things have a lot of different ingredients, particularly chemical sounding ingredients, great things to get rid of, right? Try to stick with real foods, very simple ingredients, all ingredients that you should be able to eat just stand alone, right? That would be on a, you know, that you would eat, even if something comes in like a can or something comes in a, in a bag, you look at the ingredients, those should all be things that you would eat just by itself, right? And then if that's the case, then you know that, okay, that's probably a, a good, a good food. And then the other things you want to look out for are sugar or anything that really elevates sugar. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things, maltodextrins and, you know, sucrose and things like that, artificial flavorings like sucralose, aspartame, the chemical type sounding names. You want to get rid of those. You also want to get rid of your processed seed oils, right? So we used to think these things were healthy. A lot of people would see things like corn oil and they would think, oh, corn, it's a vegetable. That's got to be healthy. But we know that that's a seed oil. It's really, really toxic and inflammatory for the body. In fact, it takes a thousand bushels of corn to produce one ounce of corn oil. You could easily get one ounce of corn oil if your salad dressing has corn oil as the main ingredient and you pour that on your salad, right? And so that's very inflammatory. It's very fragile oil. That's extremely inflammatory in the body. You want to get rid of that soybean oil, safflower oil, cottonseed oil, canola oil, peanut oil, all of those. You want to get rid of those those types of seed oils. You want all your fats, you know, or primarily your fats to come from grass-fed, organic animal products, wild-caught seafood, extra virgin, high polyphenol, fresh-pressed olive oil, avocados or avocado oil, coconut fats, right? So you can get that from like coconut milk, coconut flakes, coconut oil. There's all kinds of different coconut products. Flax, you know, when we talk about seed oils in general, I'm not a big fan of flax oil. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of that. A little bit of flax seed, I think can be beneficial. It's got lignans and fibers that can be beneficial for the microbiota. Um, But I'm not a big fan of the fats. Number one is it's primarily polyunsaturated fats and they are omega-3 fats, but they're the small chain omega-3s. And the small chain ALA omega-3s honestly are not overly beneficial because it actually takes a lot of enzymes. And a lot of people are not able to convert the ALA component effectively into EPA and DHA, which are the long chain omega-3s that have the most um, benefits, right? The most anti-inflammatory benefits, uh, brain, brain enhancing benefits. So I prefer getting the omega-3s from your grass-fed organic animal products. When animals eat grass, they naturally produce higher amounts of long chain omega-3s, 
Also, your wild-caught fish or wild-caught seafood will have higher amounts of omega-3s. Also, um, you can get supplements like fish oil, for example, a purified fish oil that has some sort of antioxidant in it. Um, like for example, rosemary extract, some sort of antioxidant in there to help preserve it. Krill oil is another another one that's popular where people are getting that, um, which has astaxanthin, which is also a great, you know, that's actually is powerful antioxidant you find in wild caught salmon, particularly like Alaskan salmon. And uh, astaxanthin is an incredible antioxidant, it really protects the mitochondria, protects those omega-3 fatty acids. So you might find that in there as well to help 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 protect it and purify it. But that's really where you should be getting your omega-3s. You can also get it from like a vegan source would be uh, algae, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of chlorella and spirulina. Huge fan of those. I think they are incredible for the body as far as detoxification, um, bioavailable nutrients, amino acids, uh, you know, very cleansing and healing for the body. And oh, they also yeah. have omega-3s. Oh, they do. I don't think of them as having omega-3s. Before yep. we move off fats, I want to make sure we double click on coconut oil and MCT. Mm, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, coconut fats are great. And coconut fats are also a natural source of medium chain triglycerides. And medium chain triglycerides turn quickly in the body into ketones, particularly when it comes to medium chain fats, there's multiple. There's C8, C10, and C12, capric, caprylic, and lauric acid. Okay. Now coconut oil is rich in all of those 50% of the fat makeup is one of those three, but most the, out of that 50%, 35% of that is lauric acid. And lauric acid is a, is C12. It's a very good fatty acid. It's very good for the immune system. However, it doesn't turn into ketones quickly. It actually does take a lot of enzymes, does take some bile emulsification for that. C8 and C10, the capric and caprylic acid are much more ketogenic and, and C8 tends to be the, the one that's metabolized quickly into ketones. What that means is the moment you consume that, basically the body turns that right into uh, beta hydroxybutyrate, which is kind of this active ketone that we measure in our blood, right? That's kind of a measurement tool that we look at for your overall ketone levels, right? So it's very quickly metabolized into that. It also has antimicrobial effects, really good for breaking down yeasts, the outer cell wall of yeast, right? So some, some other uh, additional benefits there. And so coconut oil is a natural source and coconut oil, some people do amazing with that. Of course, you know, I know, you know, with Dr. Bredesen's work, there are certain genetic types that don't do as well. Uh, the APOE4s don't do as well with a higher coconut oil diet, but coconut oil is a natural source of these. And some people have done amazing just doing coconut oil for improving their brain health, right? And helping to reverse Alzheimer's and dementia. But it would be good to work, you know, with somebody like you or to look at a genetic type to see how your, your body's responding to, to all the saturated fat that's in the coconut oil. Mm -hmm. And then you can also do a concentrated C8 only MCT oil, which again, turns right away into ketones. Um, and that can be really, really powerful for the body. In fact, I know there was a study where they, all they did was add MCT oil, but I think this is probably a, a C8, C10, and C12 oil. But that's all they did was add that to, uh, you know, so the, the, all these people were in a nursing home and they were just consuming the standard nursing home diet, which, you know, you know better than anybody is not healthy, right? Certainly not, not going to help prevent Alzheimer's disease, going to promote it. It's highly inflammatory. But what they did is they just added MCT oil to, you know, a certain population group. And they had significant improvement in their cognitive scores compared to the group that didn't get it, right? So just something that simple can be really helpful. And the reason for that is because of the elevation in ketones 
and that epigenetic modulation that took place for bringing down inflammation in the brain. Wow. So ketones, MCT is a way to take something that could potentially increase your ketone levels. There's also several types of exogenous ketones. You have your ketone esters, and then there's several others that athletes use that um, can get these your millimole count of ketones up really high. Do you have insights on when to use those, how to use them safely, um, how to find ones that don't taste like gasoline? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So the keto esters from my, I have never actually taken those, but from my, from what I've heard that they don't taste very good. Although I know scientists are working on, you know, trying to trying different flavor profiles to make them a little bit more palatable. And they, they turn up the ketones faster than your, your ketone salts, right? So you can get ketone salts, which have been on the market for, I oh gosh, 15 years, almost now, 10, certainly 10 years um, on the market. And that, you know, they're marketed as exogenous ketones and those will turn up your, your circulating beta hydroxybutyrate. So if you're to test your blood ketones, they will go up and there are, there's a good time and place for that. So if somebody is trying to transition their body to getting more fat adapted, let's say again, they were on a higher carbohydrate diet. They have very poor metabolic flexibility, consuming some exogenous ketones or the MCT oil with a meal will help to reduce cravings right now the body it takes the body a little bit of time to get used to seeing the ketones elevated in the brain developing the metabolic machinery to be actually be able to use them it's not like we switch over you know immediately but the, the more frequently that it's seeing that the more it's going to start to switch that metabolic machinery you're going to notice that your cravings go down so when your cravings go down you can go longer periods of time without food right and then you you're probably going to consume less sugary processed foods when you do eat. So what's that going to do? It's going to create lower insulin levels and better metabolic flexibility. And you're going to be able to produce natural ketones, endogenously produce ketones more effectively. The real trick there is we want to get the insulin down. And so the exogenous ketones kind of act as like a little bit of a crutch, right? Or the MCD oil by helping reduce cravings and allowing you to go longer uh, between meals without feeling hungry, right? And so that, again, that starts, helps bring down insulin, get your body more fat adapted. So you're producing the ketones on your own and you're not, and you're also becoming more insulin sensitive. So you're not producing as much insulin when you do eat, do eat foods. So that's the key there. Now also athletes, you know, if they're doing, you know, high level competition, they need, you know, extra fuel, right? Um, their body's breaking down glycogen and store and sugar, but we all already talked about how sugar is a dirty fuel. It produces a lot of oxidative stress, drives up an inflammation. So there are times where they need to be using the sugar, like if they're in an anaerobic state, but a lot of times during these kinds of competitions, they are in a state where they have oxygen, right? They're, they're able to rest and get the oxygen, but they're competing for long periods of time. And so they, they do need some level of fuel. And so the exogenous ketones are kind of a quick, great fuel source. They can, they notice oftentimes better mental clarity. They have, uh, their perceived exertion goes down. What that means is, you know, the kind of work that would make them feel like, wow, this is super intense. This is my peak. That actually goes down. So they're able to work at an even higher clip, right? So it's been very beneficial for a lot of athletes as they are training to become adapted, to be able to use these ketones. And then, you know, they can supplement with the ketones, right? People are doing triathlons, right? And all kinds of really intense um, activities, can be really super beneficial. And then they're also their recovery time afterwards is better because they had less oxidative stress and inflammation 
from the actual exercise bout, right? And so they're they're able to recover faster, and uh, obviously that uh, that allows them to um, have a better experience with that whatever that you know competition was, and then also be able to do it again. Uh, in a quicker and more effective state than if they hadn't used those. And so we I think see that with our Alzheimer's patients, that they're more exercise tolerant in ketones yeah. than when they're getting some of these exogenous ketones. For our audience, I'm really curious to learn from you what you think of as in medical speak, the contraindications to going into ketosis. So who mm-hmm. would this not be safe for, particularly in, in a group of people who is a little older? Yeah. So Getting into just like a, a mild state of ketosis where your ketone, your blood ketone levels are up over, let's say 1.0 and maybe, you know, keeping it. So let's say between one and two uh, millimoles per liter, right? That that range, I think is really pretty much healthy for just about everybody, particularly in an older population. I mean, obviously, you know, you wouldn't, pregnant women shouldn't be intentionally trying to do that for sure. But in general, it's just, it's just a adaptive physiological state. So I think that that's great. With kidney uh, kidney disease, you know, even with kidney disease, I don't see that that's necessarily an issue, right? Because the body can still filter. In fact, the most damaging thing to the kidneys is higher blood sugar. So when the blood sugar is elevated, the sugar molecules will bind to proteins, and they create something called an advanced glycation end product. And these advanced glycation end products are like shrapnel going through the, the the blood vessels, and they damage the blood vessels. They damage the tube, the tubules in the kidney, and they cause you know further further destruction of the kidneys. So getting your blood sugar low, your insulin low, and having your body actually using ketones for an energy source, actually very beneficial for the healing process. You know, again, these tubules need to undergo a level of autophagy to repair because there's they're full of scar tissue. So that will actually help the healing process. So I don't actually see that as a as a bad thing. Now there 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 may be some you know things that we need to do. For example, you know consuming a, a, the right electrolyte balance can be you know important in these in these states. Um, I think that can be critical. So I don't see that though as you know a contraindication. You know when it comes to like a ketogenic diet or, or doing a lot of fasting. If somebody is extremely underweight, we do need to be careful there. If they're saying, you know, if they're making getting into ketosis their number one goal, that may not be the best number one goal, right? It could be a nice side benefit, but, uh, you know, those types of individuals need to make sure they're consuming adequate calories, getting a lot of protein in their system. They do need to improve their insulin sensitivity and in, in oftentimes and in many cases, but, you know, the number one goal is making sure they're getting the nutrients they need, getting the protein they need. So that that way they don't lose excess weight because losing muscle tissue as you age, sarcopenia is a significant risk factor for early death. And then on the protocol, what we recommend is making sure that you're doing some bioidentical hormone replacement as long as you're working with your doctor, making sure that's safe and appropriate for you. But testosterone especially is going to help with muscle building. So that's a really important part of why to do the entire program, right? Not just pick and choose, but because we want to avoid weight loss, particularly in older women who are at risk of osteoporosis and other things. You mentioned electrolyte balance. That's really important. Dr. Jaffrey, this has been such a wonderful, informative conversation uh, about ketosis and mitochondria. I cannot wait to share this with our audience. I know they're going to get so much out of it. I'm really impressed just by your depth of expertise and knowledge in this space. And it's adding so much value here. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Sanson. Appreciate you.
Remind everybody how they can find your books and your websites and your podcasts, everything that you have to offer. For sure. Yeah. You can find me on drjockers.com, J-O-C-K-E-R-S. Also my podcast, Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. And I'm on all the different social media uh, channels, Instagram, Facebook. And then my books are The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough and also The Fasting Transformation. You can find those on amazon.com. Fantastic. Thank you again so much for being here today. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.